Welcome to Money Talk. My name is Dave Spano, president of Annex Wealth Management, and we have a content-packed show today. A lot of really cool stuff. We have a real-life client. Tom is going to come on and join us, followed by Deanne Phillips. Three Keys to Happiness was a panel put together to find happiness during retirement. And then Keith Butler, a Juris Doctorate who is on our staff, it talks about caring for elderly parents. So we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about today. But before we get to that, we're going to bring in Brian Jacobson, our chief economist. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Thank you for having me. Boy, a lot of stuff happening this week and, uh, of course, next week as well. But, you know, the big story is the backdrop of what is really happening with the GDP report. You know, with so many folks, economists, and all due respect, were guaranteeing that we were going to have a recession. Well, recession is back-to-back negative quarters of GDP. Well, guess what? We just got a report from the Atlanta Fed, which is far from negative. Yes, the Atlanta Fed, they have what they call a nowcast. And so based upon most recent information that they have, and this one specifically was driven by our industrial production and our retail sales numbers, and those were much better than expected. And so as a result, they're actually forecasting that we're going to have one of the strongest quarters that we have seen since the COVID recovery. Now, I'm a little skeptical about mm-hmm. their model. And Atlanta Fed does get ahead of themselves from time to time, but go ahead. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and especially when you get these early reads and you typically see this drifting lower of their real-time estimate as the quarter goes on. Although our view here on our investment committee is that we're not really out of the woods quite yet, right? We had a good month for retail sales and industrial production, but it wasn't very broad-based. When I dug into the industrial production numbers, most of that was driven by air conditioner use, right? So utilities really ramped up because of the hot weather. And then also autos. Autos jumped 5.4%, but every other manufacturing sector was basically flatlining it. And we're seeing a lot of those cross currents right now. So we're seeing that number, which is positive, and that could bleed into the fourth quarter. So it's really almost impossible now to have negative GDP this year because you need two back-to-back quarters. And so we'll have to see if it really hits the brakes. But the reason why I bring this up, of course, is the all-important Fed meetings. And, of course, they get together in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I don't know that we're going to hear much out of them, but we're certainly going to watch what happens. Yeah, a lot of people are going to find the Jackson Hole meeting which is the 25th, where on that Friday, around, I think, 8 a.m. is when Chair Powell is scheduled to speak. Last year, when he spoke, he basically used very few words, but they were very powerful, and the markets did not like what he had to say. He basically said, we're going to keep hiking until we break the back of inflation. He was channeling his inner Paul Volcker. Mm -hmm. This time, he might be a little bit more circumspect. He might not want to make as many waves because they don't really have a good reason to hike, but they don't have a good reason to cut. So maybe he's just trying, going to try to make as few waves as possible. But, here. you know, if he does not want to be Paul Volcker, a lot of people won't remember this, but back in the day, back when we had the inflation issues back in the early 1980s, Paul Volcker hit the accelerator, he hit the brake, he hit he the did. accelerator, he hit the brake, and that caused a problem. It did. Yeah, That's a very good point, is he was a little inconsistent, and I think that what Chair Powell really wants to do is learn from that. You know, the Fed, as an institution, they make mistakes. They try to learn from those mistakes, but then they create brand new mistakes. And so I think what they might try to err on the side of is holding rates where they are steady for longer than what they absolutely need to. And so higher rates for longer really means that you have to put that into your valuation models. And so, for example, that has pressure 
on other categories, fixed income, real estate, and equities all work off of that. And the 10-year Treasury went up higher this week. And of course, higher rates puts pressure downward on prices. It does, exactly. And that's a really nice way to put it is that when you have those higher rates, you get lower prices. It's just kind of the mechanical way that it works. And with the 10-year Treasury, one of the other factors here has been the fact that the federal government has a massive debt that it needs to finance and they are doing some refinancing. Yeah. Yeah. The market doesn't care for it much. It's almost as though the deficit is at a level that would be consistent with us being in a recession, not a great expansion. Right. And so we're going to have to watch that because we're getting these cross currents. So higher rates for longer means, for example, higher mortgage rates. We saw this past week that mortgage rates were the highest that we have seen in 20 years, folks. And so that is how it hits your pocketbook. And that's why it is so important that you look at your portfolio and make sure you're aligned with what is going on in the world today. Do you have the right mix of stocks and bonds in real estate? Is your financial plan set up for higher rates because we had zero interest rates for so long. So we have a lot more to talk about. And on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about a potential Lehman moment. That should get your attention. You're listening to Money Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. And if you were listening right before the break, I certainly had a hook that might get your attention. I said potentially a Lehman moment. And folks, Brian Jacobson is joining us. And Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, is joining joining us. And Brian, if you remember the Lehman moment, and I know you do, it was one of those things that we'll never forget in the investment world. Yeah, it it was pretty startling. And uh, just for a little bit of context there, right, in uh, 2008, with the global financial crisis, uh, in March of that year, the federal government kind of arranged a bailout of Bear Stearns. And A lot of us thought that that set a precedent for how they would deal with other problems. But suddenly, September 15th, 2008, there was an about face. The Fed was very inconsistent. Suddenly, they let the brokerage firm Lehman Brothers go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And that really sent shivers down everybody's spine. It sent shivers to the money markets, right? It certainly did. Because that started to break the buck. That's right. Yeah, that was the famous breaking of the buck for the money market funds. Uh, I think, uh, what was it? The Reserve Primary Fund. It was the oldest money market fund, the first one that was started, they broke the buck because they had too much exposure to Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, and that caused all sorts of problems. And that was the contagion, and that was this cascading failure of financial institutions. And why do I bring that point up, which certainly was one of the toughest days in my nearly 40 years in this business, was September 15, 2008. And I bring it up for a reason. There was a Wall Street Journal article on Friday morning that said, is this China's Lehman moment? And boy, oh boy, that got my attention. The first thing I read went right to it. Yeah, those headlines were great. And uh, the article itself definitely recommend people to read that. I look at, you know, China, they've had financial issues for a long time. Uh, You know, if you remember coming out of the financial crisis, they had a lot of government stimulus, building bridges to nowhere, these ghost towns. Right. Yeah. And so there were all sorts of documentaries about what was going on there. And they did that all to try to prop up growth. Well, now, you know, their reopening from COVID has been very lackluster. Uh, Their retail sales this past month on a year-on-year basis was less than what we had in the United States. 
that's not normal given the size of their economy uh, and the, the, the growing of their population as well. Actually, they're a declining population, but as far as their income growth, it just really wasn't consistent. So the retail sales numbers, very disappointing. Industrial production numbers, very disappointing. And the government seems to be talking about doing stuff, but they haven't actually put their money where their mouth is. And so now you have this company, Evergrande, a big property developer, all of a sudden running into problems. Yep. They filed for bankruptcy in the New York court because they're trying to protect themselves from creditors. They've been missing payments. And it's almost like a shadow bank. It's not really a real bank. It's in the real estate business, but that's not their only problem. In the housing industry, they have deflation. Yes. And this is, you know, I don't want to get too wonky here, Professor, but there is a major difference between high inflation that causes a problem and deflation, which could be very detrimental. That's right. And, and really, the, the rationale behind that is that deflation, we're like, hey, lower prices, that's a good thing. Well, not if it's real estate, something that you own, right? Or deflation in general, what it does is it actually makes the debt that you need the service that much harder to make payments on. And that's what these property developers are running into. You also have what are called wealth management products that some of their investment banks have been selling, where all of a sudden, you know, they're promising the sky as far as with returns and they're defaulting on those. It's a problem. It's probably going to grow before the government over there steps in and tries to solve it. Now, they are so worried about doing too much stimulus that it seems like it's keeping them from doing any stimulus mm. right now. And so it is a waiting game. Yeah, and so with a couple more things I do want to get to, and thanks for explaining that, is uh, really what's happening in the Treasury bond market. And I did talk about it a little bit. However, there is two schools of thought here in the last 30 seconds of why that is happening. One school of thought is it's going because there, we had a bad auction. The second part of that is we didn't price in the GDP growth. And so there's t two sides of this tale. Yep, yeah, and I actually like both. As an economist, I can say on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And I actually like both of them. There's just a little bit less demand for the Treasury securities, China, their issues, Saudi Arabia, they're spending money on soccer players, right? Uh, and uh, then you also did have the better growth, which means that maybe the Fed is going to have to keep rates higher, and that's beginning to be priced in. And so, folks, you know, if you go through this issue, there's going to be stops and starts. You know, we have some economic news that is coming up. We have a potential strike out of the UAW, which certainly will get a lot of attention. And so there are things that we're going to need to watch as we go through the rest of the year could cause for some volatility as we go into the end of the year. Now more than ever, you need to know what you own, why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. Stick around. We have a real live client coming up. Tom is going to talk to you about all the great things that Annex Wealth Management is doing. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, and that's the goal of this segment. Another opportunity to meet a real-life client of Annex Wealth Management who we work with for investment, retirement, estate, and tax planning. Let's say hello to Tom. Hey, Tom. Hi, Danny. At the top, some quick questions. You are a client of Annex Wealth Management. Yes, I am. Annex is not providing any type of compensation for your time for this segment. Correct. And there are no conflicts of interest between you as a client and Annex as a firm. No, none that I know. There you go. Well, we like transparency. You've been a client for three years now. Before that, you were an active do-it-yourselfer when it came to investment and retirement-related decisions. You did all the research, all the analysis. You were probably pretty good at it. 
I thought I was doing okay at it. And actually, Dan, if you remember, I was a client of another company before it came to Annex. So I've been a client of someone's for a little over five years. But probably since the 80s, I really pretty much managed my own portfolio and I did all my investment decisions and did all the legwork. But as I became closer and closer to retirement, there's way too much to know and to do. So I turned it over to somebody. But Anna and I have been together for three plus years now. Do you remember about when it was that you thought, you know what, I might need a pro on my side? It would have been five years ago. And I was getting closer. I I knew I was going to be retiring. The numbers were getting closer. I had been meeting my goals. My kids were going into college. Things were happening. And it's like there's too many moving parts to really understand. Pretty good with some of them, but this is your future you're talking about and you're going to like cut the lifeline of a paycheck and go and live off of your savings and the things that are, are there with you. So so that's when it was time to time to get some real help. You were within the 10-yard line and heading for the goal line. Yep. Didn't need so, to fumble. So that was not a quick search. You investigated a number of name brands, some local, some nationally based. When you were looking for a partner, what were you looking for? What do you remember? The big thing was is that when you're taking all of your life savings and it's somebody that you're going to trust, somebody that's easy to do business with, I like the local factor as you know, we talked about it. When you're just talking to a person on the phone whom you may never, never meet, it's just not that same comfort level because it's, it's your money. And so I was looking for that, looking for some track record, basically somebody you trust. You did all that research, and when it came down to deciding, ta-da, Annex was not your first choice. <laughs> not my first choice. To give Annex credit, it wasn't that they weren't my first choice. At that time, Annex was growing so much that I just had concerns that they, in a back office sense, would be able to, to keep up. There was expansion going on. It was growth. It was explosive growth with their business. And having been in a company that does grow and does mergers and acquisitions and does other things and have seen things go wrong, I was just a little concerned that the back office could keep up with the front office side of it. So it wasn't necessarily that they were my, my second choice. I had reservations, and because it was my money and I was conservative, I, I went with basically what was my second choice. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We're chatting with Tom, a client of Annex Wealth Management. So you broke our heart. You're with somebody else. What were the signs that maybe you needed to think of a, a different partner? What it was is I, I was always kind of keeping an eye on Annex because they said at that point Annex was my choice. My client rep, Mark, was persistent. He didn't let go. He kind of just checked in every once in a while. We had some conversations and things. And, and then it really was coming back to, all right, it seems like you've been able to grow. You've opened all these offices, um, nothing on social media, nothing in the news, and there's no bad press. So you, it looks like you're able to pull it off. And so we started going back and we took a look at it again. But th- then it was like the, all right, what are you getting for your money? Because they obviously don't do it for free. But with the comprehensive tax planning and estate planning added in, which I kind of got a little bit of, but not to the same formality, there weren't subject matter experts with the other company that you met with. That and actually a lower fee says, boy, I think it's time to move and give them a chance. How long have you been retired now? Three years. Anything surprise you with retirement? I was kind of ready for it, but I think um, what surprised me is how easy I moved into it. Probably the hardest part is managing your budget and, and spending your money as opposed to making money and spending the money you make. It's a whole different mindset because now you're, you're living off of everything. But when you look at it, and the money is still growing and you're living off of it and things are going okay. You look to be a fairly young guy. Did you retire early? Yes, I did. Good for you. Did you get to the point where you're bored or you've been finding things? I'm not bored. I do odd jobs. I volunteer. I vacation. Anything you would have changed in the approach to the way you approach retirement or retirement planning? I would have gone earlier. 
a lot of people, they just don't feel, even though the financial person tells them they're ready to go, maybe I, I could have gone probably a year or two years earlier, and, and maybe I should have. Tom is a client of Annex Wealth Management. Wasn't always that way. Chose a different company, decided that Annex fit the needs a little bit more closely. Tom, we're glad to have you as a client. Hope we can be part of a great retirement for many, many years. Thanks for coming in. No, thank you very much, Danny. You know, Annex has plenty of branches to make it easy to meet. We are in Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Pfister, Madison, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois, and as close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. Bottom of the hour, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Now, this segment might be a shocker to those of you who aren't retired yet. If you're currently retired, please play along because you know how it really goes. And if that sounds mysterious, that's okay. To add to the mystery or perhaps unwind it a little bit, we're joined by Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Deanne. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's set the stage. There was a panel discussion dedicated to, quote, finding happiness in retirement. It gathered thought leaders, but it also included an actual retiree who added reality to the discussion. And the bottom line is happiness in retirement might not come from what you think it does. Experts state three things critical in common. Having enough money, having relationships with peers and community, and having good health. May I ask you to read what this regular person who was at this conference said when he addressed everyone? Absolutely. This is a quote. When you plan for retirement, it's like staging a very beautiful still photograph. The very first day you're in retirement, it actually becomes a full motion video. And you have to accept that retirement is not going to be exactly the way you planned it out because of a whole host of reasons. Now, that's not to say you were wrong or you didn't get it right. It's just like when we were at work, things change. You've worked with clients for a long time. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, it's a beautiful quote. Life is not linear, planners like to say. That's why we're always going back to the basics of the financial plans and stress testing those. It's not just about reaching financial goals, but life goals as well. Okay, this was the Health and Retirement Study Assesses Trends in What's Important in Retired Life. It's a study of 20,000 retirees, so good sample size. When they analyzed life satisfactions, the study saw three core elements to life satisfaction. Deanne, obviously, this makes sense. The first pillar is money. Yes, and having more money does make you happier because it gives you more choices. But that effect appears to hit parity at about $4 million. Now, that's not to say having more hurts you. Of course it doesn't. But experts are finding out that having more doesn't necessarily lead to greater satisfaction either. That's kind of the peak happiness. We're talking about the health and retirement study. Three pillars. The first is money. The second, relationships with peers and community. You know, it's interesting to note that the study says all of these are investments, not just money investments. Right. When you invest in something, and sometimes it's money, but often it's time and mental capacity. It's what you're willing to give up to get something for the future. Relationships, obviously, are an investment. Social networks can take work to create and maintain. It's an investment of time, effort, energy. And for many people, creative fulfillment is equally important. Retirement's a perfect age for that creative side to emerge. But you got to invest in all of them, right? You do. You do. And health is very important, too. If you've neglected the holistic health while working on your career, then we might have a slew of other issues. Right. And that is the third pillar in the health and retirement study. It's health. And that's a little hard. It is hard because sometimes we think, I'll pay attention to myself when I retire. Also, people become ill. They don't plan that. Right. Of course, things change. Deanne Phillips is Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. We're talking about the health and retirement study. 
Dan, how often do you see people hit retirement and then kind of flounder until they find out their or get their retirement bearings? Very often, because we have to remember we're not retiring from something as much as retiring to something. We have to come from an understanding of what we want to retire to. Life goals and financial goals are absolutely intertwined. Why is it? Or is it even hard for us to predict what's going to make us happy in retirement? Yes, because we have to consider the lifestyle around our choices. For a great example, buying a sports car. You know, we may think, gee, when I retired, I'm going to get that sports car I want. Now, just driving it around and having it might not be the key to our ultimate happiness. We have to consider that it's really kind of a lifestyle we're getting into, right? Maybe having a vintage sports car puts us in a club. We meet like-minded mm-hmm. people. We sure. have social events. It becomes a hobby. We need to fix it. We put more time with it. All of a sudden, we're engaging our mind, our body, our social interactions around something we like. It's so much more than, yeah, I'm just going to drive around the neighborhood, right? So it's really got us thinking through our choices and where they might guide us. Is thinking that retirement is six Saturdays and a Sunday, is that a mistake? Yeah, I'd rather have people think of it as a different job with fantastic benefits. So, (laughs) you know, going out to eat with friends or going on vacations or going to an event, these are things that actually can provide true happiness in retirement. We've been used to going to work and being surrounded by people and social interactions. So to switch that off and go into isolation too much can lead to depression. It can impact our health. It can be really culturally harmful, too, if we isolate too much. So now there may be a period of time where we say, I just need to decompress. And that's okay too. You have to follow your values. This is where a discussion with the people in your life that are important to you about what your goals are, kind of like setting a track for a new career or job. It's very important. So is there a takeaway when it comes to managing retirement expectations? Yeah, we all have to remember that even with a significant other, as humans, we all have and we value autonomy, individualism, goals, mastery of something. It's important that we have our goals together, maybe as a couple, and our own personal goals as well. These are all very important discussions to have around lifestyle and retirement, both with your family, but also with your financial planner. Everything starts with a plan, right? Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Deanne Phillips, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back, Keith. Always a pleasure, Danny. Caring for aging parents is tough, and things can get complicated in a hurry. Those who are called upon with the crucial task of caring for elderly parents can benefit from planning ahead, both emotionally and financially. While some of the developments may be out of our control, there are a few things that we can do to soften the impact. And Keith, that's what we're going to talk about. And this is just really something that I went through. After my mom died and my parents were living in Arizona, my dad actually reached out to my sister and said, will you let me know when you think it's time that I come home? And that really gets into the, you need to have the talk. Oh, that's awesome, Danny. I really love to hear that because so often you hear just the opposite where people get you know into their, well, it varies by individual, maybe their late 80s into their 90s. And it gets to the point where they really can't drive anymore. And that's a loss of independence. So having that open line of communication is so important. And a lot of people express frustration because they want them to leave their house because they can't handle the house anymore living alone. They, they should have a little apartment or something or perhaps assisted living because they can't handle all of their daily activities and everything. And 
you know, one of the things I've often said is, you know, people complain about that. And I always say, well, the one thing is when we get to be that age, we'll be perfectly reasonable, won't sure. we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know um, we won't, right? Yeah. But that, that is a great story because communication is such a, you know, it's a theme we talk about when we talk about planning among families, whether it's estate planning or otherwise. It's to the extent you're able to do so. The communication is the key. Keeping all the kids, as we'll say, on the same page is really important. Keith, is that something where in the initial conversation you say to mom or dad, how much do you want us to help or mom, dad, can we can we take things from here so you don't have to? I think that's certainly the starting point. You start as soft as possible. I always say start with the easiest solution and see if that works. Yeah. And a nice soft angle like that is it will be appreciated at any stage. You know, can I help? Yeah, absolutely. And then if they don't, then slowly you have to maybe push back a little bit. Where do you even start? And wherever you start, it's important to have everything documented. It really is. The important things is to have powers of attorney. And there's two types. There's durable powers of attorney for financial matters, which you should have in any event, regardless of age, because something can happen. You can have a stroke at any time, or maybe you're traveling overseas, or for any one of many reasons, you would want a trusted family member, let's assume an adult child, to be able to handle the finances on your behalf. Secondly, there was a health care power of attorney. And there are really two different types of health care directives. One is a power of attorney, and that is where you give another person, presumably a child or a spouse, the right to make health care decisions on your behalf if you're unable to communicate your wishes. And the other is what we know as a living will, a declaration to physicians. They're completely different things. A declaration to physicians is a statement to the world, this is what I want. A healthcare power attorney says, this guy knows what I want, ask him. Say healthcare providers prefer the latter. They prefer to have a healthcare power of attorney because there's someone telling them what to do. If you have only a directive for a living will, a directive to physicians, then the physician has to make the decision, are these conditions met? And often not completely clear as to whether or not these conditions are met. Caring for aging parents, we're talking to Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management about it. It is a big responsibility, but can be done. Another point to consider is prepare financially and physically for health care costs. How is that structured? Well, that is a vulnerability, too. You know, we go through people's financial plans all the time uh, with our clients, and uh, often we're able to tell them, yeah, your financial plan looks successful under the assumptions we put in. It's, It's a mathematical calculation. What's the vulnerability? Often the vulnerability is a health event. And the unfortunate thing about that is that's not something you can control. I mean, if you have people that are maybe overspending, you know, their lifestyle, they have the ability to cut that back. Something happens from a health standpoint, there's nothing you can really do about that. There are products, there's long-term care insurance that is a life insurance sort of product um, that can be expensive, and you have to qualify from a medical standpoint to get that insurance, but that is one way to cover it, and for folks that do have those policies, they're extremely helpful. There's another possibility too, Danny, and that is you think about life insurance, and people have life insurance throughout their working lives to protect their income stream, right? A breadwinner, maybe a both spouse are breadwinners, Something happens to them that fall off in income has a negative impact to the family, so they buy life insurance to fund that. It makes complete sense. But then when people retire, that need sort of goes away, probably. Now, if you have an insurance product that has a cash value component to it, it may be possible to repurpose that policy into a new sort of life insurance policy that has a long-term care component. To oversimplify a bit, if the policy is, let's say, a $500,000 death benefit, you may be able to make that into a hybrid policy, which could advance some of that money if you have a long-term health care need, whether it's a nursing home, somebody taking care of you inside your home, something of that sort. 
It's just the start of a discussion, but it's an important discussion. It's one, if you need somebody to help, Annex Wealth Management is qualified to do that. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, as always, Maybe you came in late on the show. Maybe you want to hear the whole thing again. You can catch it as a podcast on demand at the top of the hour. We usually say Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but wherever you get your podcasts is where we're going to be. So we'd love for you to check that out, especially if you know there's something you missed. I'm Danny Clayton in the studio, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Brian, there was a headline in the publication called The Week, which mm-hmm. is, I, I really enjoy reading oh, that yeah. publication. Yeah. The headline was, Will China Slow Down, Pull the U.S. Into Recession? And I've got to confess, I contacted you earlier this week and I said, should I stop feeling schadenfreude over China's trouble? Now, schadenfreude is a great German phrase, which means pleasure at someone else's misfortune, because mm-hmm. I'm always suspicious about China and the fact that their economic Malays is giving them problems. It's like, yeah, see, there you go. But could it splash back on us? Uh, you know, it, it could. And I, I have to admit that when I look at China, you know, it's this weird mix of uh, capitalism and communism. And it just doesn't seem to work all that well. You know, and so they've had tremendous growth ever since they joined the World Trade Organization back in the early 2000s. Spectacular growth. But we know that they do have longer term problems, especially as a result of their one child policy that they began implementing, what was it, in the early 1980s. That's catching up to them now. Uh, They also have issues with their property sector, uh, debt at the local and state level. So all sorts of problems. And they've sometimes been viewed as a competitor of the United States. There's always a question of when is China going to get bigger than the United States as far as like economic power? And uh, they seem to be on the descent a little bit lately. Uh, I think that uh, one way to think about it is the United States right now, with our growth, it's significantly stronger than what we're seeing in China in terms of retail sales, industrial production, unemployment rate. Things are looking better here. So we could almost be like the locomotive. Well, they are like the caboose in terms of on the global growth stage. A lot of it seems to be self-inflicted coming out of covid Well, the rest of the world reopened, they stayed closed. Uh, Then the reopening really was less than spectacular as well. And lately, their government has been talking about doing stimulus, but they haven't really put the money where their mouth is. Well, if they're listing in the water... Is that our problem or we are still connected even though we are these kind of we're frenemies? Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a good way to put it. And that's actually one of the things that the international trade, uh, it does connect you, right? We know that we're connected via the financial markets, but then also as far as the exports from the United States to China. We've been seeing that in the market data where companies that really have gotten the most growth in their sales from selling into China, think of some luxury good retailers, some auto companies, those have struggled the most because of China's slowdown. And, but then we also have everything that we're importing from China. Which, and, which, by the way, we're importing so much more than we're than we're taking. We do. Than we export, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So we import more than what we export. But something interesting has happened over the last few years. Uh, and this 
wasn't just as a result of the recent uh, tension between U.S. and China. This is more a longer-term trend where companies seem to be diversifying their supply chains outside of China into other countries. So now the United States is back to importing more from Mexico and Canada than what we do from China. So China is still important, but it's not as critical to the growth of the United States. We don't want to see them languish and suffer, but it probably doesn't have as much spillover effects on our growth as what it did, say, 10 years ago. So the headline, will China slow down, pull the U.S. into recession, what are you thinking? Yeah, my guess is no. Uh, And the biggest reason for that is because the United States does seem to have a very well-diversified economy. Uh, We do export and import a lot, but actually relative to other countries, like if you think of the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom exports and imports a lot relative to the size of their economy. Exports and imports are a smaller percentage of what the United States, uh, what our economic activity is. So I'm not as concerned. I think it could be a drag on growth, but I don't think it's going to drag us under. So the recession we were all expecting, which has just been pushed down the tracks, right? I mean, that that's inevitable. Yes. What what might cause that? So, I, you know, the way that I look at it is that pre-1980, a lot of recessions were triggered by inventory swings, just manufactured too much, and then you have to liquidate it. 1980 to about 2010, it was driven by housing. Now, it seems like things are a little bit more asynchronous, so you don't have everybody rising and falling together. I think we've already had a recession in some sectors of the economy, manufacturing and housing, but not in services. And now we could get a slowdown in services while we get a little bit more stability in manufacturing and housing. So it could be something that it's just this kind of roving recession recovery kind of dynamic. Interesting. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management, part of the investment team. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Folks, if we can help for your investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning, we would love to do it. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. We always want you to know the difference. How about that retirement you desire? We're going to help you take the steps and walk alongside as a true partner. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. We will be back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. Thanks for listening. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.